for part two of our three-part look and listen at Galactic Rock with Gaston McCormick. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. You gotta think too, late sixties to uh I wanted to mention Jimi Hendrix. Mm, yes. Right? Uh he has a couple of songs that kind of drift out there into the outer galaxies. You think of uh, Third Stone from the Sun, which is an instrumental, but it's based on uh, Third Stone from the Sun, I think, refers to Earth kind of thing, yep. right? So that's kind of some sort of galaxy kind of thing, right? He's got one called, uh, I think, Highway Child is another kind of uh, space-themed one. Uh, there's one called Astro Man. So, you know, Hendrix was looking into the uh, you know interstellar galaxies, for some inspiration there too, I think that a lot of that might have had to do with uh, some of the psychedelic drugs people were taking. <laughs> a little bit, a little moving bit. their minds into some sort of different, uh, different uh, galaxies and ways of thinking, right? And uh, where can you go be- besides Earth? You got to go outwards. Let's go out into the outer space and see what we can explore there, right? <laughs> Yeah, you had a good catch on your list as well while we're talking about late 60s, early 70s. You had uh, 2,000 Light Years from Home by the Stones. Yeah, that's a great one too. 2,000 Light Years from Home is about, uh, you know, someone drifting out of the galaxy and they're just getting further and further away from home base, right? So you can you can interpret that as being, uh, you know, uh, literal or kind of existential, you know, kind of thing like that. But you listen to the music too, and the music is very psychedelic and trippy, and it, it lends itself to that kind of uh, um, kind of outer space vibe too. Another one we didn't mention too, uh, we're talking late 60s, is probably my favorite sci-fi galactic rock song. When you mentioned this list, uh, Troy, two or three songs came to me right away. And the first one was by uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival with uh, It Came Out of the Sky, which is a burning kind of rockabilly song about this kind of farm boy who's out there in the pasture and he's looking up into the sky and he kind of uh, spots a UFO in the sky, right? So he... Uh, he, he kind of tells the story. He goes back in the town and he tells this story about this UFO that he saw. And he becomes kind of a, a famous celebrity because he saw a UFO, right? So it's great. And it's a, and it's a burning rock with song, too. So, uh, yeah, that's a really cool one. Yeah, that's from uh, Willie and the Poor Boys from 69, right? Yeah. yeah. They released three records in 1969, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and they're all fucking great, right? Yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, what What is Effigy on? Is it, is it self- Yeah, that's is it on Willie and the Poor Boys, too. That's on the same record, yeah. Yeah, somehow, like, I get, see, I don't own Willie and the Poor Boys. I have a few others, but I don't have that. But uh, Effigy blows me away. Yeah. Um, again, not related to what we're talking about, but thanks for sharing that one because that was not on my radar, which I guess is kind of a, an appropriate uh, phrase for our show. Um, so I, I guess when did you've got contact by Leonard Nimoy? 
once we had contact. Reception was clear. Preparing to lock into orbit. Polarization, a magnetic storm. Our systems couldn't absorb it. Take a step closer. A light year has passed. All instrumentation reads go. Visual contact firmly established. Strength of the signal will grow. Make one more effort. Channels are open. The past is a thing of the past. Communicate now. Before the collision, make a decision. Separation is closing fast. Closing fast. Closing fast. Closing fast. Request permission to land. Put a three or four records out there, late 60s, early 70s, which I love. You know, uh, I remember getting the, this import CD. I remember mid-90s, there was this uh, CD store on Young Street, and it was, it was just south, south of uh, HMV, and they only sold imports, right? It was like you go upstairs, and it was this little shop, and they only sold import CDs. So I, I found a lot of great things there. And one CD I found was this, uh, this Leonard Nimoy compilation on CD called Highly Illogical. And it oh, had like, it had about twenty songs from his uh, five or six records there that he made early seventies, late sixties. And one of the tracks on there was "Contact," which is classic, right? So it's very atmospheric, and it's about kind of uh, uh, this guy's in this kind of spaceship, and he's trying to make contact with the mothership to land, but he's having problems doing this, right? But it's very like spacey kind of music, and you have the great voice of Leonard, Leonard Nimoy. He's not really singing this one; he's kind of talking this story right. under on top of this music which is uh which is fantastic so uh I, I love that yeah that's a cool one yeah we played a little bit of uh his bilbo baggins um a number of episodes back I'm, I'm not even sure where we uh how it came up but we did play a little clip of leonard he's great and just as an aside he has a song called spock thoughts which is uh oh, yeah I guess that's kind of related because it's it's about Spock, which is a sci-fi <laughs> character. And this song is like my mantra. I think this song is brilliant. If I, if you if you're ever feeling kind of down or uh, you're not you're unsure about where your life is going, like put this song on it and it'll make you feel better in three minutes. He's just kind of talking about how the universe evolves and how you're part of the universe and everything happens for a reason and the good and bad and the yin yin and yang of love and life and love and all that stuff. It's beautiful. So uh, yeah, Leonard Nimoy is uh, fabulous. Yeah. (laughs) Spock thoughts. Good stuff. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive Him to be, and whatever your labors and aspirations, in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace with your soul, with all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be careful. Strive to be happy. I guess we need to move on to 
David Bowie, who is sort of like pretty much Mr. Sci-Fi in terms of music. Um, and not only in terms of music, when David and I were talking about the show the other day, we were realizing that a really big chunk chunk of his um, acting body of work is in genre. So he really has affected sci-fi, both in terms of his music and his work on the big screen. So let's go back to 1969. We get his response to the film Space Odyssey with Space Oddity. Um, and it's, no, I never uh, put them together. I'm just putting that together. Wow, I never, <laughs> I never put that together until now. Uh, Troy, that's awesome. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. away from that for a bit but in big time in 1972 it comes back to science fiction with the rise and fall of ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars um and then like he keeps coming back he keeps coming back to the sci-fi concepts in 1980 he comes back to ashes to ashes um also i guess even in his berlin period there are spacey uh, things isn't there a song about like his love for his television or something? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what it's called. Oh my da 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 da. Anyway, we'll cut that out clearly. Um, and probably put it in the blooper reel. Um, and then up into his final album too. I was just listening to Black Star uh, before the show, and and that qualifies for sure. At least if we're going to assume that the. Uh, the visuals from the video, which involve a dead astronaut, um, you know, count for anything. Uh, any thoughts on the Thin White Duke guys? Obviously, Ziggy Stardust is a that's a that's a great record, classic, right? Mick Ronson, yeah. Starman, those songs. Yeah, and I mean, no one is really ever fully responsible for a, a movement, but really kind of like the figurehead of glam rock. Um, you know, we had T-Rex happening prior to, but it, it felt like Bowie became the face of glam. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah him years. and Elton John, like, like both of them were so standout and were, and had great concerts and was almost like, you know, 
it's it almost brought in the era of these larger kind of stadium rock kind of shows where the presentation is just so almost as important as the music. Yeah. Well, you know, that first generation of rock and roll, how it freaked people out, it freaked out politicians, preachers and parents. Well, my parents who loved Elvis, um, you know, they were okay with early rock and roll. But when I was a kid and uh, the, the big three threats were like Cooper, Alice Cooper, Bowie and Kiss. <laughs> Those were the new versions of like Chuck Berry, Elvis, and yeah. Little Richard. You know, these are the guys who like would freak out parents. It's like, no, mm. just don't, you can't listen to that. Your life will be ruined. Um, and that's a great thing. Like, rock should always have balls and it should always be a bit of a threat to the establishment. So um, it was kind of cool having those around. And I remember this, this point where my uh my i had a babysitter in the early 70s mm. and she had alice cooper written across her jean jacket in uh in black marker right and it caused such a, a debate in my family like do we have to get rid of her do we need to get a new babysitter she's got alice cooper written on the back of her jacket like this what god knows she might be doing drugs or killing children in the sink who knows what's going on um so yeah, it's 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 great when rock has that sort of uh, that threat to it. It was the start of uh, kind of the shock rock genre too, right? Uh, yeah, you know, shocking people with their appearance and their music and their 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 vibes and their themes and stuff like that. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. the a little bit of the uh, the androgynous nature of people like David Bowie and Alice Cooper, they also brought uh, you know some girls into the into the scene, right? that normally wouldn't be into these kind of hard rock bands, but they were, they were brought into liking Alice Cooper and, and David Bowie because of that. Yeah. And it's, now this is off the top of my head. There might be things that I'm missing, but it feels to me like in popular culture, that was the first expression of alternative sexuality in a, in a big way. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was, um, you know, hidden or you had to go to a special store to buy this stuff. It's like, no, the, here are these bands and they have a look and they're sort of espousing it, at least implicitly, if not explicitly, uh, mm. various forms of sexuality, you know? Well, I mean, it was there if you wanted to see it. It's just what right. people thought, right? Like if, like Little Richard, if you look at Little Richard mm. in the 50s, <laughs> True enough. Right, he puts it right there, right on the front page kind of thing, right? But just people didn't, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right, and, and, and they, turn, certain, they turn a blind eye to Little Richard kind of thing, right? right? And certainly, even true of Liberace, not not yeah, rock, but absolutely. you know, it's like it's pretty clear what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, well, this, with Alice Cooper, also, I did just one of the moments I loved of him. I know it's not sort of genre, even though it had Mike Myers, but in <laughs> Wayne's World, there they are backstage, backstage pass with. Um, Alice Cooper and Alice Cooper talked about the history of Milwaukee and his band. And it's just one of the great moments in that film. We're not mental or anything, so don't be afraid. My name is Wayne and this is Garth. <laughs> nice to meet you guys. So do you come to Milwaukee often? Well, I'm a regular visitor here, but Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. I think one of the most interesting aspects of Milwaukee is the fact that it's the only major American city to have ever elected three socialist mayors. Does this guy know how to party or what? Huh? Huh? That's Milwaukee. Good, yeah, Milwaukee. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny too, because he's a guy who like I've always always liked his stuff. Like there's stuff all through the career where you go, no, that's still good. Like he's still happening. This is still right. And I even I guess it was clones in nineteen eighty. That feels feels right. Yeah, clones is around eighty, eighty one. He had a there was a four year period there, eighty to eighty three, where he put out four records and it's kind of called the lost years those four records yeah. he was doing like uh drugs and he was on alcohol and he basically doesn't remember this three or four year period mm-hmm. but he put he puts out four records uh 
well, what's the first one? Special Forces. That's got a song called Space Pirates on it, which is kind of a sci-fi song. Yeah. And I think, and then Flush the Fashion, and then Zipper Catches Skin. And then the fourth of the Lost Era is Dada, which is my favorite, which is fabulous. That's actually a, a that's the title track. Dada is very horror-esque, scary. Uh, check that one out. But, uh, yeah, there's some, a lot of great uh, creepy things and weird things on those four records from that period. You know what, Lee? Uh, you just reminded me that what year would Dada have come out? Like 82 or something? Uh, like 83, probably 83, 84. Okay. I remember reading uh, like a positive review of it in Rolling Stone and sort of like making a mental note, like, I have to check that out. Oh, so, so 40 years later, I may get around to checking that out. single came out I was like I, I just remember how into it I was and I just thought it was really cool that uh that um that Coop was able to make that slight adjustment in sound you know and, yeah. and it sounded very contemporary yeah new wave uh, new wave sounding and cool creepy video too he looks like a monster in that video yeah yeah and so there's a guy who has um a library that probably every third song would be considered genre. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So, so along with just, this is just a few that I really like that um, I've stood out over the years, clones feed my Frankenstein, which I think is the song that is played in the Wayne's world film, isn't it? Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. yeah and um, Ballad of Dwight Fry from the love, love it to death album. from The cool thing about Ballad of Dwight Fry too, is that he's writing a song about uh, like Renfrey. Right, like yeah. the guy, the, the assistant to the monster, the assistant to the master. And he, here's a, write a song about this little guy that does, doesn't get this, the spotlight shown on him. But let's write a song about the troubles of this guy and, and the, the craziness in his mind kind of thing, which I think is so great, you know? <laughs> yeah. And another little genre connection for Coop, uh, not musical, but he's in um, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, which is, uh, I think, a really underrated film and one that I, I really like. I watched it for the first time and. I don't know, maybe since I saw it in the theater last year and it's still got a really cool vibe to it. And Coop really pulls it off. He plays like a, a homeless guy who is like sort of heading up all of the homeless people in this, this city. And they're basically becoming uh, unwilling agents of Satan. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah Alice, and, is cool. Alice is the coolest, man. You got to mention too the, uh, the theme from what, what was the Friday the 13th? I forget which one. Oh, it was, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. That's right. The man behind the, the mask. Or something? mask from, yeah. Uh, yeah. 86. Yeah. That's a great one too. The, you listen to the original version, uh, from the constrictor album and it's, uh, it's very 80s sounding. It's all processed. It's a uh, drum machine and keyboards, but he, he, st- he plays it live, uh, these days with his like, full-on rock band, rock guitars, and it sounds really heavy, so <laughs> really cool song. And even when he plays it live uh, these days, he'll bring out, like, a guy dressed up like Jason with a machete to battle <laughs> Alice during that song, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's a guy who basically invented um, the stage show, right? With the gu- guillotine on stage. Yeah, bringing snakes and all that stuff, horror, dead babies, you know? Yeah. Uh, Lee, do you want to talk to, to sort of the contribution of Kiss? Because I mean, they are right, they are right up there certainly with like, uh, you know, in my mind with Bowie and Cooper and Kiss in terms of 
rock and roll and its um, sort of genre connections? Sure. Well, the one thing people always say about Kiss is they're like uh, they're like comic book superheroes come to life that play rock and roll kind of thing, right? Based on characters and the themes of each character has got a different vibe, right? We mentioned Gene Simmons is kind of the horror guy, and Ace Frehley is the spaceman. He's the space ace, right? He's from Jendel. And he landed on Earth and he hooked up with these other three guys and, he, and they started Kiss, right? <laughs> so he's not used to the gravity on Earth. So that's why he's, he kind of wobbles on stage. And that's why he kind of has a hard time adjusting to the gravity on Earth kind of thing, right? And he's, they got a lot of great songs about, uh, you know, uh, sci-fi, uh, um, not an Ace Fairly song specifically, but 100,000 Years off the first Kiss record, which was written by Paul Stanley. That song is, that song is about, uh, like time travel through outer space and trying to get back to, and, and this guy who's time traveling through the universe and he's meeting up with this girl, right. Who's been waiting for him uh, for a hundred thousand years to return kind of thing. <laughs> but like every kind of Ace Frehley uh, song or not every uh, song, but you know, a lot of the Ace Frehley songs have that kind of sci-fi character theme to them. Uh, rocket ride is a great one, right. About this girl that wants to take a ride on a rocket, uh, you know, that could be a rocket spaceship or it could be a, like a euphemism for something else. She wants to take a ride on something else kind of thing. Right. So <laughs> yeah, I saw that on your list and uh, I gave it a lesson cause I hadn't heard it in years and yeah, it's a good tune. Yeah. Lady space, man. Take a ride. Yeah. She, uh, she wants a rocket, uh, you know, take a ride on the rock kind of thing. Right. They, there's a good one called into the void, which kiss did when, uh, they did their, uh, in quotation reunion album in, uh, 98. They had a featured a song by Ace there. And, uh, interesting thing about this was it was, uh, wasn't really a sci-fi themed song, but Gene Simmons said, Oh, you gotta, you gotta have a, you gotta change the lyrics to be sci-fi because you're the space ace. So it's kind of that thing. He's kind of pigeonholed into writing these songs about space. So they, uh, changed the lyrics. So they're all about black holes and kind of thing. So that's another <laughs> kind of uh, euphemism. If you think I was going to say, it? <laughs> in outer space or another kind of black hole that he's trying to get into kind of thing, right? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so for wow. both of you guys, tell me your first experiences of, uh, of, you know, that you remember of seeing or hearing Kiss. Well, my first experience was, uh, I can remember like it was yesterday. I was five years old and visiting my, uh, my grandparents, my nan's house. And my uncle Paul was six or seven years older than me. And I would always go through his record collection. And I was five years old going through these records, looking at the covers. And all of a sudden I saw the cover for the first Kiss album, that black cover, similar to the Meet the Beatles cover. Mm-hmm. It's all black and you just see their four silk faces there, right? But it was the kiss faces with that makeup. And I was just looking at that cover and I was like, what is this? It was just crazy looking, right? And I remember putting the needle on, dropping the needle on that record and the music just spoke to me as well. So I became an instant fan and just just right in there with the whole uh, theme of the characters and the music matched the personas and, uh, you know, not revealing their true identities and th- that whole thing I just thought was amazing and you know, the mix with the comic book and the sci-fi and everything was so great. And so yeah, that made me a fan at a very young age. What about you, David? Well, I, uh, my friend Marcus, who was the big Kiss fan, sort of brought me into the whole Kiss Army kind of thing because um, he would listen to it. Um, and there was so many tie-ins with Kiss. I mean, it was incredible because you had the comics. They were on various shows Sometimes, you know, they're playing themselves kind of thing. Um, and they obviously had very good branding and had very good presence and um, really got themselves out there. So, you know, you could probably have Kiss on um, Sesame Street, for example, or whatever. Like, whatever it was, there was just so much of them and their presence that it was almost hard to, you'd have to purposefully try to ignore them, which you couldn't. So, yeah, they were basically there and they had, of course, the great shows and so on. So, yeah, for sure. Um, and some of those songs still, you can still hear them. You know, like some of them are still ones that you can hear even at a ball game or at, at a hockey game or whatever it is. The, or, the, the organist starts running into this thing and say, oh, my God, they, they're starting to play some kiss. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like they're th- not going to last without songs, right? You got to have good songs. Like the, the gimmick's going to take you so far, but the, you got to have good music to, to last 50 years, which they've done, you know. 
Well, you wanted the best. Film, the, uh, the Kissing <laughs> the Grandma of the Park film, that's, that's a classic, right? A classic B-movie superhero sci-fi kind of film that they did, TV movie there in 78. Yeah, I was a big Howard the Duck fan, and I think I've got a Howard the Duck kiss crossover or one where they like just appear in the. In yeah, the, in that's, the, it's like uh, from the seventies, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like like mid seventies. Yeah, like. Do you guys of, know uh, this is weird, and and I don't know if you guys are aware of the, the Utopia band, uh, the Todd yeah. Rundgren's Utopia, because I had a number of their albums and just loved their music. But one of them talks about born on a world he didn't make or whatever all these lines sounded exactly like the comic Howard the Duck it was almost like that they had taken that and ran with it right and it's funny now that we're doing a little Howard the Duff riff. I've been really into the, back into the Pretenders this week, and I realized there's, there's this song. I forget which one it is, but they she references Howard the Duck. It's probably from the first album, it's either the first or the second album. But uh, yeah, it's just you, you catch it. It's like the first line of of every <laughs> verse. Uh, it's like something about Howard the Duck, and you have to go back to it and find that one. Um, yeah, yeah, the song. In case you want to reference it later, um, I don't know if that's Troy or Roth. But um, it's called Trapped, uh, Trapped in a World You Didn't Make. Um, even though I like a, a lot of the other stuff from Utopia, you know, he did an album, Oops, Wrong Planet. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, so we've done Coop, we've done Kiss. Um, we'll have to go back in a sec to, uh, well, I guess let's do Rush now. It's Rush is almost like the quintessential sci fi band. As soon as uh, Neil Peart joins the band, uh, there's no more songs about girls, <laughs> you know, for better or worse, um, or being working men or whatever. Uh, it's all of a sudden sci-fi palooza uh, from the rush camp. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I still love 2112. And I remember actually, speaking of uncles lending us musically, my uncle had 2112 on 8-track. Um, and I had bought tickets to see them at uh, the gardens, but I think maybe I didn't own anything yet, or maybe I only owned the new release, which was, oh, Jesus, not Permanent Waves, the next one, Moving Pictures. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the overture to 2112, just love it.
also on that album is um, a song called Twilight Zone. And I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan. So, um, and I know uh, I, I get where you're coming from about Neil Peart and drumming. Lee, for those who don't know, is an excellent drummer. Um, you, you have so many styles down, man. Like it, it impresses the hell out of me. Um, anyway, uh, and I, I get some of your previous comments on Neil uh, and Neil period, and you can sort of reinforce them here if you like, but yeah. what, what would you say about Rush in general? Oh, I mean, I love Rush. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite bands. I just bought a, I just bought a six pack of Rush beer a couple hours ago, actually, you know, nice. <laughs> with the uh, 2112 Starman logo on the, uh, on the can, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, Neil Peart is not one of my favorite drummers, but he is an incredible drummer. Right. And every once in a while, I will get in the mood to listen to that, right? But it's, I think I'm more of a, like a Charlie Watts, Ringo Starr, Al Jackson Jr., kind of pocket, easy, you know, simple, kind of laid-back grooves kind of thing. But Neil, Neil Peart is, is an incredible musician, and he's perfect for that band. Yeah. Right, so, uh, yeah, 2112, that, that the side one of that record is incredible. The way it starts, it just starts with... Uh, <laughs> outer space yeah. sounds right and the band kicks in uh it's incredible and this the story um you know the story would work as a, a, a film kind of thing you know it's it's amazing yeah i'm surprised that has not been actually developed yet uh is in terms okay and it's been a while since i've thought about it is music banned in the world of 2112 and then the kid comes across a guitar in a cave or something is that the deal Something like that. Yeah, he finds a guitar. He learns how to uh, play it, and then he goes in front of the council, and they try to uh, suppress him. They try to like say, "No, you can't have that kind of thing." And then he realizes that's how he's going to take over the world is with his guitar. Something like that. And I forget. I haven't <laughs> revisited it in a while, but it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And taking over the world with a guitar is something that every kid, every at least every boy who I think has picked one up can relate to um, yeah, the ending of that uh, that side where it, uh, the kind of story concludes and it's uh the guy comes on the speaker and he's like uh, we have assumed control we have assumed control and that, like that's how it ends yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um and you know then we we had hemispheres we had a feral the kings yeah hemispheres uh, with a uh, cygnus x1 Book one and book two, and, <laughs> and that's the thing. I again, I've since first hearing them, I've always loved Rush, and and for a lot of reasons, I have a dislike for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and their whole process. But like trying to blackball Rush and keep them out was ridiculous. Um, it, it took you know basically the fan base and a grassroots movement to finally get them past Jan Wenner. Um, so my that next- introduction by Dave Grohl, like, like that was the one where he went up on stage and said, Hey, I'm, I'm bringing them into the hall, like, like his whole speech about growing up on rush and what they meant and, and so on. It was just brilliant. Yeah. Although that does remind me of the issue of, um, of, um, uh, male camel toe in the spread of, uh, what is that? Is that? Is that 20? No, that's uh what album has that really awful spread in the inside of the gatefold. And they look like they were in Star the Wars. Back cover of 2112 when they're in their like robes. And yeah. Their, yeah. Their they look like, pants and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. They look like Jedi and, yeah. Um, yeah. and Alex. Yeah. Has those far, far too tight pants on. So let's move on to uh, George Clinton and his band's Parliament Funkadelic, uh, also known as the collective P-Funk. Um, lots of great stuff there that is super funky and sci-fi related. Now on our show, Lee, um, last year, we had a guest, Maya Wentz, and we were, when we were looking for sci-fi related, uh, music, uh, she gave us the mothership connection and I was, she blew my mind. It's like, yes, somebody's like bringing up P-Funk. And, uh, so People need to check out the cover of this album. Uh, Google it. The Mothership uh, Connection from 1975 has this great picture of George Clinton appearing like feet first with these massive uh, platform boots coming out of this UFO. And he's kind of like pantless, I think. Um, and, uh, 
and the whole concept is just great of just this sort of outer space funk band. And it was followed up in 1976 by the clones of Dr. Funkenstein. Good evening. Uh, do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control as to bring you this special show. We will return it to you as soon as you are grooving. A welcome to station W-E-F-U-N-K, better known as We Funk or deeper still, the Mothership Connection, home of the extraterrestrial brothers, dealers of funky music, P-Funk, Uncut Funk, The Bomb. Coming to you directly from the Mothership, top of the chocolate Milky Way, 500,000 kilowatts of P-Funk power. So kick back, dig, while we do it to you in your eardrums. For me, I'm known as Lollipop Man, alias the long-haired sucker. My motto is... y'all to do if you got faults defects or shortcomings you know like arthritis rheumatism or migraines whatever part of your body it is i want you to lay it on your radio let the vibes flow through funk not only moves it can remove dig the desired effect is what you get when you improve your interplanetary functionship sir lollipop man chocolate coated freaking habit form doing it to you in 3d so groovy that I dig me. Once upon a time called now. Somebody says is there funk after death? I say it's seven up. <laughs> yeah. Everything about P-Funk, I mean, is to me, is the epitome of, of funk post-James Brown. Um, anyway, do you, guys, do you have anything to share about uh, these guys? A great live, too. Incredible live show. And they would actually have a like, a like a spaceship on stage that would land, and the band would come out of the spaceship kind of thing, right? Yeah. 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 I saw them in, well, P-Funk, because just again, to clear up for people, there were two bands, Parliament and Funkadelic. Uh, Parliament was the more R&B-based band, and Funkadelic was sort of like a Jimi Hendrix acid rock type of thing. Um, but in later years, uh, they've uh, sort of combined to be just known as P-Funk when they, when they do shows. And so this would have been around 1988. I saw them at the concert hall. And every, to a person, everybody I know who goes, oh, I was at that show, will tell you that it was in their top three shows ever, no matter who they've seen. And, and that was true of me as well. And I think the show went at least three hours long. And I swear to God, they only stopped playing three times. You know, like songs just morphed into the next thing and there'd be a little little jamming, just this funky shit going on. And, uh, you know, I don't, other than Bootsy, uh, you know, and uh, Bernie World, not Bernie World, Bernie World was in it, but uh, Eddie Hazel, Hazel, who was an incredible guitarist. He left us, I think, in 92 or something. Uh, the band is just impeccable. Um, and yeah, like the guitarist at the time was wearing a diaper and nothing else, <laughs> like this this massive oversized diaper. And uh, just, it was an incredible show. Yeah. Well, if anybody, if you get the chance, I don't know if George Clinton is still doing shows or not, but it, it's uh, it's always a good time. He's got to be like 80 now, George Clinton, bro. Yeah. Considering he was doing like doo-wop stuff in the 1950s. His uh, His Tales from the Tour Bus is a good episode. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. Oh, actually, I will now I'll mention something that I saw. I rewatched uh, those episodes, uh, today. And he tells a story from the early days of, uh, Funkadelic where, uh, 
they were traveling by car and this is in the era of a lot of acid being dropped and they had just gotten into acid um, and they were lost trying to get to the next gig out in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And so they're going along this dark country road and all of a sudden up ahead, they see like, you know, 20 or 30 zombies walking around <laughs> and they think they're just having a really bad trip, but they're all seeing the zombies. And then they, they realize that this is actually the set of uh, George Romero's night of the living dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. So they like sort of like get pushed on, like, hey, keep driving, keep driving, please, you're in the shot, go away. <laughs> but uh, that must have been uh, quite an experience. Holy nightmare. Uh, a few uh, a few people from the early uh, 70s maybe uh, that we missed there, but Joe Cocker had a song called Space Captain, which is really uh-huh. cool. If you're familiar with that song. That's a really great song, Space Captain. Uh, Aerosmith had a song called Spaced which is a kind of a sci-fi thing. And one of those songs I think where you can kind of uh, interpret it as being, you know, spaced outer space or spaced in your head kind of thing. Right. Can go either way. Yeah. Uh, Steve Miller. Steve Miller has a song called Space Cowboy. Oh, yeah. How can I right? that was, uh, Yeah. Before, before the kind of uh, the Joker take the money and run era, when he was doing Living in the USA, that song Space Cowboy was pretty cool. It's got that uh I'm a space cowboy. And then that dun 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 that lick that's from that song. Uh and you had mentioned on your list you had like one that I can't believe that I forgot to include, which is Space Trucking by Deep Purple. Oh yeah. Classic, man. Yep. And some other really great uh you know, heavy stuff from that era, like Sabbath, lots of Sabbath. Sabbath has got a uh, super knot uh, into the void. I love a uh, uh, planet caravan by Sabbath is a cool one. Cause it's very uh, outer spacey and trippy. It's almost, it's mm-hmm. a good song. If you want to smoke a joint, pretend you're floating around the galaxy. That's a very mellow kind of trippy song. Planet. Caravan. Right. Oh, I needed to back up for a second to kiss again because yeah. um, I had a, uh, a note about how East freely, on the how do you refer to those albums that were released the four solo albums at the same time just the four solo albums yeah it was the kiss solo albums okay all right one of the greatest moves in music history like a when has a band ever released four solo albums like on the same day like unified with the band logo in in one corner it was insane it's so cool man it's one of the coolest things ever yeah yeah, it would have been tough at the time to uh, to sort of to be an act with a release at that time because I remember you'd go into the record store and there would be the four albums, right, yeah, taking up space. Usually, you, you know, in, it, previously it'd be like there'd be one Kiss album, you know, up on the the rack or whatever, and then space for three other bands. But nope, Kiss now has has taken over the whole store. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, from uh, from Freela's album. Uh, there's New York Groove. And the reason I'm mentioning that is um, actually uh, previously I'd been on Lee's show and we were talking about uh, Stephen King and how Stephen King sort of interconnected with the boss. Um, so here's another Stephen King thing. Um, in the Dark Tower series, the books, um, he references a scene in New York City where uh, New York Groove is playing. It's either like a guy with a ghetto blaster or cars going by as New York Groove is playing. And the thing is, this is a moment that is that repeats through time where this guy is trying to avoid his death. But every time he hears New York Groove coming out of this car or whatever, he knows he's about to get killed. Um, but uh, it really got me into it. And so I was like, I've got to check out New York Groove. And it's like, I love it.
Cover song? Please. Yeah, it's a cover by, uh, is it Hello? Yeah, I think Hello was the band that did it. No, uh, I always get the band that did the original version of I Love Rock and Roll and the uh, band, the original version of New York Groove mixed up. One of them yeah. is Hello. <laughs> yeah, and the, I've checked out the original and I don't like it nearly as much as, uh, as Ace's version. Yeah, Ace is cool, man. His voice sounds great on that. Yeah, and I also have for you, Lee, because I know you're a huge uh, fan of Elvis that um, I guess what starting in the late 60s uh, Elvis used to come on to stage to the theme from 2001 which is uh, Thus Spoke Zarathustra uh, by Strauss but you know the, the famous 2001 theme yeah he started doing that in the early 70s and that was just uh, you know it's like one of the most epic ways to introduce someone and Elvis is des- very deservedly <laughs> Uh, you know, Elvis deserves that kind of introduction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're waiting wait for the king to come on stage, and the lights dim, and you hear that. Oh my god, it's incredible, right? Yeah, the anticipation, that goosebumps, right? And another note that I had that was specifically for you. Um, really, uh, again, being the Springsteen guy. Um, my first exposure to Springsteen, I, I think, must have been uh, the cover of, by Manfred Mann of Blinded by the Light. Because right. um, I don't think, yeah, like, I don't think I had the had Bruce on my radar until, I'm guessing the river. I'm guessing the river. Um, Were you born to run Misty? That was huge, wasn't it? Yeah, but I grew up in a in a, uh, a household that basically, in terms of the radio, all I could get was uh, CFGM, the country station out of Richmond Hill. Right. Uh, my parents would not like; they would let me listen to my records in my room, but quite a lot of the time, what I was getting was just off of like you know top ten radio, so like Chum AM. So I wasn't; I don't recall hearing Bruce. Maybe the first thing might have been was was fire by the printer by the pointer sisters before uh the river album it was around then 79 80 i'm not I'm yeah sure. like but th- that was on my radar but my point is that um blinded by the light i loved it like the the man for man version yeah. um and but you listen to that song and it sounds like they're doing like this weird version of like won't get fooled again or something with the synth that's on it, right? And it it just it struck me as being like, oh, there's something like science fiction-y going on here, just with the sound of the the keyboards on it, um, and the production, and even the fact that it's like blinded by the light. I was thinking of things like close encounters. I was imagining like there's this UFO and that's the light that's blinding you. Man, man, grows, grows into 
funny to then finally hear the original version and, and realizing it, it has none of those connotations, you know? What do you think of that cover? Yeah, it's a great cover. I almost, I almost like it better than Springsteen's version, right? Like that, there, that was a number one song for uh, man for man, you know, Springsteen has never had a number one song except for <laughs> that, which he didn't perform. He wrote, but he didn't perform. Right. And uh, I was going to mention too, Troy, the interesting thing about, we're talking about, galactic rock sci-fi music is that with music your own mind plays a big part of how you interpret the song the music the lyric kind of thing right so if you're a great songwriter you're going to leave some room for interpretation to the listener right so just based on a title based on a sound of a guitar a keyboard sound it might put that kind of sci-fi vibe in your head and it may yeah. take you off on somewhere where you may think that blinded by the light is a sci-fi song where really it's about a guy living on the streets in new jersey in the, in the early 70s kind of thing right yeah yeah and especially with some of those instrumental songs we talked about earlier where it's just a title and mm. a, a guitar lick or something like that that evokes some of these kind of galactic sounds Right. Uh, there was a, there's a guitar tone or an effect called a phaser. Mm. It's kind of, it's, it's a, you'll play a guitar and it kind of has that kind of sci-fi kind of warp to the, to this, the signal of the, of the, of the, of the sound, right? When you hit a note. So, uh, you know, that kind of, that's kind of on that blinded by the light song. So that kind of, kind of can evoke some of these, uh, vibes to sci-fi vibes and music, right? Come on back for part three of our three-part look and listen at Galactic Rock with guest Lee McCormick. 